This is CliffCentral.com. Welcome to the Renegade Report. I'm Jonathan. And Ramon is present. And Jonathan, what a week. Well, no, nothing really happened. Um, <laughs> well, what a week. I mean, maybe it's been a week for you as our listener. Yeah, who knows? But this time next week, uh, when this releases, maybe the whole of South Africa will be a, a new province of China. Who knows what's happening? We're already a new province of China. We just haven't realized it yet. As long as I have a, a number in the Chinese slave camp and I'm the one at the top, I'll be happy. So as long as you're the leader in the gulag. Absolutely. The stitch. Got, got you. Well, um, we've, of course, got the official opposition to the Communist Party of China in studio today. Uh, <laughs> and the official uh, one of, uh, one of the um, MPs in the official opposition in South Africa. Um, perhaps a, for, a future leader of the party. Who knows? Uh, some people might hope it turns out that way. None other than Gwen and Gwenya. Thank you for coming in. Thanks for having me here. So, uh, welcome back to the studio. It's, yeah, it's been uh, a long time. It's been a while, yeah. I was um, your first guest, actually, wasn't I? Um, you were our, our second or third, I believe. Yeah. You were still working for Bloomberg for at the time. Thanks for popping the bubble. I don't know, the players are mine. <laughs> so, let's have a quick recap. You were in Bloomberg when you first met you. You went to become the COO of the Institute of Race Relations, and now you're head of policy and a DAMP within the Democratic Alliance. So, uh, what's easier, solving the uh, Middle East crisis or doing policy for the DA? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's probably the latter objectively, not that I've ever tried to solve the Middle East crisis. But um, no, politics is difficult, but perhaps not quite that difficult. All right. All right. Well, I mean, this is what the podcast is about. We're going to see how difficult it is. So Jonathan and I, we are what you would call your, your base, I suspect, even though I'm an anarchist and I don't vote. But I... <laughs> Yes, so I was technically not the base then. Indeed. Well, Jonathan is. Okay. I, I am literally the base. Jonathan is. So we have been highly critical of the DA recently. Uh, fairly, if, if I may say so myself. I think we've been rather fair. Um, <clears throat> what is happening? There's, there's, there's two fundamental issues here. The, the policies on the table, as described on the website, which are firm, binary, and good, and just the way they're communicated is just the opposite. Awful, equivocal, and vague. What's happening in the DA? Well, in general, I'd like to think that our policies, I mean, shouldn't be binary. They should be quite nuanced. Um, and I think a lot of the time in, in most policy areas, um, you know, there isn't a, necessarily a silver bullet for how to resolve a particular issue. And so the conversation should most of the time operate not in a gray area in the sense that it's opaque or it's vague what needs to be done, but in the sense that it should be relatively complex enough and not reduced to such a level of simplicity that your message is borders on being, on being too binary and being too populist. So nuanced in that sense. Um, but where we have perhaps 
deviated from policy on paper. I mean, I'd like to perhaps get a bit more information on that. Is there any particular one area where you feel that the DA has been unclear for you? Right. Um, and perhaps I can explain it in a more specific case opposed to in, in general terms. Certainly. So, so there's one, there's one clear example. So Ronaldo Host is a DA councillor in Nelson Mandela Bay. He said on Twitter, and I know this is based largely on Twitter, because yes. that's the milieu we, we no, work in. No, that's fine. So Ronaldo Ho says, DA is unequivocally against EWC, um, and we will oppose it at any cost, basically. Uh, a colleague of yours, Pumzile van Dam, says, that's not necessarily true. Uh, we believe in the Constitution, and the Constitution does allow for expropriation without compensation. Um, okay. That may be true as well. I've read Jackie Dugard's work on that, and she says, you can expropriate and the compensation can be zero, depending on the context. Um, that's fine, but the DA is against expropriating our compensation because Moosey said so in Parliament when the motion was passed, and the policy on your website says they against that you are against expropriating our compensation, and then you have an MP saying something similar, but not saying we are against it overtly. So there's mixed signals there. Well, maybe if I can just take a step back a bit to talk about how the general issue has been communicated. Now, expropriation without compensation is an interesting issue because you almost have two groups that you might ideally want to communicate to. So you have your beneficiaries, so the people that might stand to gain something should, uh, you know, expropriation without compensation for argument's sake be passed. And then you have those on the other hand who'd be affected by it. So those whose land would effectively then or property be expropriated. And so in, in, in crafting a message, you can either talk to those who stand to be the potential beneficiaries and say to them, actually, this policy is not going to benefit you and here are the reasons why. Or you can speak to those who stand to be affected and, um, you know, craft a message that speaks to them about why their property should not be expropriated without compensation. Now, of course, ideally, you want to speak to both groups. I mean, it shouldn't be an either or. But the nature of the media cycle or the nature of communications is that most of the time you can have a policy area where you have 20 things that you want to say in that policy but the reality is only one key punch message goes through you know almost every policy area each party is going to have a one liner that almost explains what their position is on that particular issue as nuanced as it may be and going back to then those two camps I think the DA's message has tended to speak a little bit more to those who might stand to be the beneficiaries and try to explain to them why actually expropriation without compensation will not benefit them so so in so doing, I think the message has tended to be about the custodianship issues to say that actually expropriation without compensation in terms of the ANC and EFF view will mean that effectively the state ends up being the owner of the land and you'll just be almost perpetual tenants um, of the state. And I think the DA spent a lot of time trying to drive home that message about title deeds versus the state owning the land and the fact that private individuals wouldn't actually be owners. But the consequence then of being so focused on that message is that you haven't actually communicated strongly enough, okay, regardless of who owns the land, how do you plan on getting it in the first place? Are you going to expropriate it without compensation or are you going to expropriate it with compensation? And I think we 
admittedly perhaps do need to be a lot stronger now in driving home that other message. I think people get the custodianship issue now, or at least I hope they do. The, the, the fact that on the one hand, you have people saying the state should own the land and, um, citizens should be tenants. And on the other hand, people saying, no, actually, um, there should be private or individual ownership, um, of land. I think we spent a lot of time communicating that message. And I'd like to hope the DA's position on that area around private ownership is clear. But perhaps where it's, the message is less clear, is around how do you actually plan on getting the, prop, the the land in the first place. And I think it should be then quite clear that we are strongly against expropriation without compensation. But here's, but here's where I think you could reconcile what, um, and not reconcile for the sake of reconciling t- to be diplomatic, but I think because they're genuinely reconcilable, those two positions, um, that expressed by Ronaldo and that expressed by, by Pumzile in the sense that, yes, you can take the principled and perhaps also policy position that you're against expropriation without compensation. So there are many policy reasons why it would be a bad idea, including destabilizing the banking system because so much property actually is li- actually technically owned by the banks and mm-hmm. not by the individuals themselves, etc. So, and those arguments don't necessarily have to do with the constitution. They're almost practical or economic arguments against expropriation without compensation. But then there's still this constitutional argument that's still in the balance because the constitutional court, we almost need a, a court case to rule on this particular, to develop the law around this particular area, around whether there wouldn't be some circumstances in which, according to the criteria laid out in the constitution, it might be just and equitable to compensate without compensation. I mean, sorry, to expropriate without compensation. And so I think all Pumzile Mara just been saying is that, well, yes, we, in principle, you're against expropriation without compensation. But because we also are a party that says that we abide by the constitution, if a court, if the constitutional court rules that, um, you know, expropriation without compensation is permittable in, in these, in these areas, then we would also accept that. So, um, I don't know if that clears up. I mean, I, I mean, I, I know what Pumzile was trying to say and, and I sort of, understand, uh, as I said, I've read Jackie Dugard's work on this. Yes. Um, and Helen Zilla made a case for expropriation without compensation in the Daily Maverick a few a few months ago. Someone had land that was um, yes. overrun and he refused to do anything with it and etc. So et she made a case. I don't agree with it, but she made a case. And it's, it's Yes, a, so cases in the city of Johannesburg, we have a derelict building and literally can't find yeah. the owner, so who are you supposed to compensate? Yeah. And, and those sort of make sense, but as a I, I would think that your base are property owners, and perhaps you haven't focused on property owners saying, yeah. we accept your right to own property and we know that it's very valuable to you and we will fight for you See, against this. I think that, mm. from my side, has been lacking. Yeah, I, I, I would echo that and, and just go a step further. I think um, instead of standing on, you know, the, you've moved from the hill you're willing to die on, which is which I would hope would be you will not obliterate private property rights and you're fighting on the hill of – Let's talk about property rights. Let's, let's have discussions where, um, we, we might be willing to sacrifice them under certain circumstances, um, to try and attract a base which is not your base. Because that argument of going to the people who may be the beneficiaries are literally a 6% group of people who can only respond to cogent arguments with give me the land. Um, and so your base is, is not hearing a, a, a message of, we will not allow property rights to be trampled under any circumstance. To me, that's the punchy message that should have right. come through. No, well, let me first, I think there's a question about the base and I'll, and I'll get to that secondly. But the first one around protection of private 
uh, you know, property rights. I mean, I, I, I think I disagree. I think we're quite firmly for protecting private property rights. We're not saying that we would outline conditions on, under which private property rights might be violated. We're just saying that the constitutional court may very well do so because, um, if you want to read into an interpretation of just and equitable that contains scenarios like we just said, where there's a derelict building and you literally can't find the owner, then one might say, well, it seems fair in that instance to then not compensate because you literally aren't able to do so. Um, in those circumstances, I mean, and look, and I'm not um, a legal scholar here or um, or someone who works in the law um, as a profession, but I would say that it might be helpful for people then for a different language altogether to exist for those particular scenarios and actually be quite firm that we don't accept expropriation without compensation. Mm. Those instances aren't actually instances of expropriation without compensation sure. proper. There's something else, and you can give it a, a different legal term. But the exception doesn't inform the rule. Exactly. No, but that's where I would completely agree. And I think if we wanted to keep the argument almost clean, you could say, yes, we're firmly against appropriation without compensation. These instances where this and this happens, this is actually called this and it's something else. Um, you know, but I, I feel that perhaps that borders a little bit on legal semantics, um, whether you would call that something. Um, well, the process already. I mean, it's kind of like with, with um, just maybe to give an example, if you if someone if someone dies, right, murder is a completely separate category to culpable homicide, etc. Although the end event is the same, someone has been killed. So or someone is dead, you know, so I think perhaps in, th- in this case as well, expropriation without compensation could have a, a legal definition that means one thing and that we are against that particular, you know, Know, expropriation or compensation is not permissible and then you could have a different legal term that explains those other circumstances where mm. we feel it is permissible I mean, but I think, I think we're not getting into really sort yeah. of technical uh, legal. Look, I, just to say that we've already got um, I- I- embedded in the law a process by which if your land for example was stolen, uh, no matter how long ago it was, if you, if you can have if you can show any proof of that then you basically can have your land given back to you essentially and we've, we've had many land Claims and there's there's an entire process that that was followed actually by the government. Four thousand was it four thousand claims, Ramon? One point eight million claims. Oh, one point eight million four thousand still outstanding. That's I think right. it was. Um, so the compensation did not occur. No restitution. Where restitution occurred? So, yes, but was it was were they compensated? Ninety three percent of them were compensated in cash, and the rest were compensated. With no, no, I'm the talking about land. the property owners. Oh, yes. saying those were examples yeah. of. They were compensated. Yes, they were compensated the if their land was was taken, but most people didn't take land; they took money. But yeah. uh, so I mean, that's restitution versus versus expropriation. Um, I, sure, I, I hear what you're saying all about that. I, I think you know one of my objections to the DA recently has been, and I say it again, you know, not dying on that hill. It's it's it's. And this is an accusation which has been going on for years that the DA is ANC light. And the reason is, is because instead of making your own stand, um, and I'm, I'm using that very loosely because yeah. it's not an accusation against you, but instead of making the, as a party your, your own stand, um, you go and fight in the ANC's arena. You go and fight in the EFF's arena. This was a, a long-standing um, criticism of the party that it was merely a reactionary party. The ANC would do something, the DA would react. Then for a very long time, what 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 seemed to happen happen is there was a change. And in fact, we recently had someone in studio who said that uh, the DA had a policy that they would not just talk. Uh, the ANC was Voldemort. They did not say the word <laughs> ANC for three months. 
And that was part of their communication strategy because they didn't want to be seen to just be reacting to the ANC. They wanted to be seen to be its own party with its own ideas. And I find often what ends up happening is the ANC says something or the EFS says something and you then go and play on their football field. Instead of playing on your own football field, let them come to you. Um, and when that happens, additionally, what, what then goes on is messaging gets very diluted because instead of, as I said with the EWC thing, but there are other examples, instead of standing on this is where we stand, we're not even engaging in this kind of ridiculous notion. Um, you end up having these debates on nuances of EWC, and it's like, why are you even talking about this? Um, well, no, I, I think that's a, that's slightly ridiculous. I think if the DA wasn't saying anything on land reform at a time when well, cope, you know, there are all these um, discussions. I think COPE is killing you guys. And, and the reason I think that that's happening is because Masiwa Lakota is not engaging. He's not saying yes, but he's not saying maybe. He's sitting and he's going, you know what? Afri Forum, I probably don't agree with all of their politics, but they are against EWC, so am I. Here's me shaking hands with them. But how is that them. not engaging? That's absolutely engaging. Sure. You're just saying you find but their he, he, stance he's taken, a lot more. He's taken an absolute position, and I think on something as important as EWC, an absolute position matters because the thing that will kill this country, in my opinion, there are only two things that are absolutely going to end this country. EWC is one of them and NHR is the other. Those are the two things. If they get pushed through by this government, we're done. Uh, you can you can kick, you can scream, and Musi can become head of uh, premier in the Western Cape. I couldn't care. It's all over. So, and and as a voter, that's terrifying. And the fact is, is that the the main opposition is having nuanced discussions with a, with leftist radicals who want who praise Venezuela, where people are but eating their pets. But that's the problem. You see, look, I'm, I don't think I'm ever going to apologise for taking a nuanced policy stance because what we can't do is be pushed to extreme extremism equally just because the other side we're engaging with is extreme. So then you just have you know two far sides of each um, you know the far side of each side. Um, um, you know, debating with each other for the sake of clarity. Um, you know, I, I think unfortunately people have to accept that, you know, most issues are complex, they are nuanced, and we have to try and, and obviously come up with an answer that is, or communicate a solution that is simple enough, but not so simple that it then begins to lose meaning or borders on populism, which I think being absolutist would then do exactly that. Gwen, I mean, Jonathan mentioned the base uh, recently, well, just now rather. Um, top, top, crit, uh, what do I call it? a critical aspect of the DA, and you're being critiqued by people who are like us. And and I accept, Jonathan and I accept, we are the the upper echelons of your base in terms of like, we care about your policies. <laughs> you're saying so many things that I want to un- unpack, as they would say. I mean, firstly, um, what who are people like you, and what are the upper echelons? I didn't realize the well, base you know, had levels. Fairness, fairness, you are, you, yeah, I, I, I'm going to slightly distance myself there, but <laughs> but you care about the policies. Most people don't. Voters don't right. care about policies. They care about brands. I mean, that's this is like a universal acknowledgement of democracy we get that uh so we care about policy we care about the inner work in the da we care about your message most people don't we accept that uh so a big um question mark by people like us and people on the renegade report group that consists of a thousand people middle class care about property rights are that they feel alienated because they believe that you are seeking votes that are not uh, within your base you take basically you take your base for granted um, how would you respond 
to something like that. I mean, the first thing I want to say is that I think actually far more people than we might like to give credit to actually care about what a particular political party's message or policies are. But it goes back to what I was saying in the beginning that – you know, you almost only have – you have limited opportunities to grab people. So, yes, not everyone is going to dissect every 20-page document that you have on a particular policy area and then 20 times another 20 depending on how many different areas you have policy documents for. So, yes, nobody's going to – very few people rather instead of nobody. Very few people are going to go through each of those policy documents line by line and design a spreadsheet as to and tick each point that they agree with and then at the end tally up if they have more points they agree with than points they disagree with and say, well, right, I can – I more or less agree or don't agree with the DA. Everyone actually has certain issues for them that speak to them and upon which they, they decide to almost be their, you know, their make or break issues. And I think that goes the same um, for you as well. I mean, you'll, you'll tell me if I'm misrepresenting you, but I think you might zone in particularly on, uh, on the DA's message that has to do with um, what you might call broadly identity politics or identity issues as well as perhaps property rights. You could perhaps, I mean, and those are two areas, right? There could be many other areas, foreign policy, immigration, um, environmental policy. I don't know. Conceivably, there could be many other policy mm. areas where if you actually sat down, you do agree with us. And on the balance, you agree more with the DA than you don't. But because those two are your burning issues, they became, they become do or die issues so, for you. So, and the DA's position of all, and for that matter, any party's position on, on just those two issues will be your deciding issues. And I think most most voters are probably similar, that there is an issue for them that can become a, a tiebreaker, if you want to call it that, between different political parties and, 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 and who they vote for, despite the fact they might have a lot more ground of, of um, agreement with one party. The disagreement on that one issue might make them choose a party that they actually don't share a lot in common with, but because they're saying the right thing on one or two issues. And I suspect that's what's happening a little bit with, and again, it's a very small sample. It's on Twitter and perhaps the kind of group that you're talking about that's now a little bit incensed that our message is not strong enough on expropriation of conversation is deciding, well, we're not going to vote COPE. I don't think they're saying that because they've sat down, as I said, with the spreadsheet, written down all of COPE's positions on a multitude of policy areas and written down the DAs and mm -hmm. tallied and said, actually, we agree more with COPE than the DA. That's not true. They've just been impassioned by one or two issues, and those have become deal breakers for I, them. I agree with that, but here's the, the sort of flip side of that. So before I could know, I would put an X next to the DA, and I could do that because I knew underlying the party were classically liberal values. Um, no matter what happened, I didn't have to read your foreign policy document. I knew that you would stand in a classically liberal way on foreign policy. Um, I didn't have to read your, your health document. Um, I, I knew that you stood in that in that way, and the problem is is that that has been fine previously, and you're you're correct that people don't list cope versus the DA. The problem is is when you go off base message, this is who we are. So you're the classically liberal party. You're the liberal party. Maybe the classically liberal people don't like, but you're the liberal party. Um, you've got people, firstly, you've got people in your own party saying things like we're the progressive party, which is you're not. And if you are, <laughs> that's terrifying as well. Um, but, but the point is you're the liberal party. So before, when you were the liberal party and you generally did things that were liberal, then you could easily just tick, tick next to the box because I, I didn't even need to know. I didn't need to be an issue voter. I just needed to be a principal 
municipal voter. Um, well, this is where I disagree with you. I think it was always issue-based. It's just that when you felt more comfortable about the two issues that you care about, you thought you could extrapolate the rest to, to also be in, in, but yeah, but in you, agreement. You're hitting so cr- when those two are yeah. suddenly no longer the position that you agree with, you also now extrapolate and say, well, the others must also not be ones that well, I agree I think, with. But I, I think it's always come down to probably one or two burning issues. And I'm not, I'm actually not disparaging that. I'm mm. not saying that that's necessarily a problem. If, if, if that voters behave that way I'm just pointing it out That mm. there might still be far more in common Between um, those who consider themselves liberals And staunchly so as And understand the ideology And um, etc. And the history of, of, of sort of liberal ideas The enlightenment period Whatever And the progress of liberal parties in South Africa Those people who are quite attuned With perhaps let's say The academic and the You know the academic arguments um, Might you know, those people might feel that at this moment in time that that isn't true. But I think it's also because they're probably focusing on one or two issues. So uh, for me, I mean, that could be true. I, I think that you shouldn't underestimate the fact that many ANC supporters are deeply communistic in their views and beliefs. They support right. the National Democratic Revolution. And yes. if you're going to if the DA will not stand by its liberalism and say this is who we are, we are liberal above anything else. When the ANC is standing on its national democratic uh, revolution roots, the South African version of the, the great leap, um, and, and, and they are happy to stand on it in parliament, nod along when people, when, when they, it's pointed out to them. Um, if the DA is not willing to do that, that's a particular problem. And for me, it's a critical mass issue. So I can, uh, for years, I've put up with certain issues I've had with the DA, for example, being nannies in uh, the Western Cape. I think that when the DA gets into into power, they basically want to tell everyone what to do, when to drink, when to eat, etc. And that annoys the hell out of me as 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 much, a more sort of libertarian leaning liberal. But but I, I've put up with stuff like that. But there's a critical mass, you know. There's a suspending someone because they said something good about Israel. Um, there's um, you, um, telling Afroforum we don't agree with a word you said and then doubling down on that from two MPs. Um, there's just too much that adds up together. I think that could be a communication thing rather than an actual uh, party uh, position. Um, yeah. You would need to tell me more. Jeez, um, so what, it becomes very difficult to respond to you guys because you say like <laughs> 10 things in one that I might wish Sorry, to respond Gwen, to. But you know but, what? Um, I'll, you'll I'll have to remind – I mean, yeah, you'll, you'll remind me perhaps if there's a particular thing that you – or area that you want me to address that I'm not touching on. But I still actually haven't made the point about the base. Go ahead. Um, and it's fine. I'll make it very quickly. It's not necessarily a long point. But just to say that, you know, I think – you because I think you, throughout this show, you've – you, one of you have said things like the base are property owners or the base are, you know, I, that's not how the, how I define it. The base of the, the DA, um, should be people who abide by liberal values. And then of course, in the discussion needs to be, well, what are those liberal values that we, um, you know, that we're all drawn to or that we abide by as liberals. But I think it needs to stem from there. So our base are not white voters. Our base are not middle class people. Our base are not property owners. Our base are people who who share the values of liberalism and would like to advance and promote them and think they're the best way to um, well, lead a meaningful life and for um, economic prosperity, etc. But that's really the starting point. And those people who share those liberal values can be rich or poor. They could be, um, you know, property owners or not property owners. They could be, you know, um, they could fall across different. Um, but they all believe in title deeds. 
for example. Is, you know, that would well, be the point. Well, title deeds is merely a mechanism. They believe in property rights, yes. And for now, probably title deeds is probably the gold standard how to um, have proof or, or, or some kind of measure of showing that this is your property. But title deeds are just a, a tool, I suppose. But yes. Um, anyway, so, so yeah. that was just the, the very quick point I want to make about the base, that anyone who shares liberal values, um, and it shouldn't really be – you know, it's not really much more difficult than that. But then moving on from this, and what are those liberal values? Yeah. Now, interestingly enough, I had a conversation with um, with someone who was saying, "Is there any value anymore in calling ourselves liberals for those who who, who value uh, liberal values? Shouldn't you just stand by the values themselves? Because different people who espouse different values will call themselves liberals. So who's there's no neutral or independent arbiter that's going to come down from on high and say, this side is right. You guys are actually the true liberals. So potentially you're going to be having a semantic debate about liberalism forever because there is nobody to to come down and bang the gavel and say this is what liberalism is. Yeah, so no all we Karl can Marx of, there's no Yes, Karl exactly. Marx Nobody's going to tell us who are the real liberals. So actually all you can do is say we stand for these and these values. Fine, you could stand for others and you want to call yourself liberal while you stand for those other values. There's no one to tell us actually who, which side is it's right It's a bit postmodernist wrong. of a take on, on liberalism though, because liberalism does have some sort of founding fathers, so to speak. And th- it is very obvious what liberalism means. I mean, the, the simple things, non-aggression principles, for example, or um, basic ideas but I don't around think economics. That's true. You can, almost any topic that you w- would want to look at, there's, there are splits as to what, you know, the, the view might be. And I actually do this often because and in, in, in trying to grapple with what a policy position should be, I try and find um, – of course, I, I look at what's almost the extreme, those who might call themselves leftists, left, uh, people on the left or socialists, what their position might be. But often, actually, I'm looking for people who call themselves liberals but actually fall on different sides of the same issue. So, for example, you'll find um, even libertarian blogs that are um, – or people writing in journals or, or these kind of uh, – online, um, mostly because those are the most accessible. But – for example, an issue like abortion, you'll find libertarians who'll put forward very cogent arguments as to why the libertarian view on abortion um, is to be pro uh, pro life, and the other, on the other side, libertarians who argue that it should be pro choice. Um, so I, I I don't think that there's as much agreement on the liberal spectrum as we might like to think. So everyone might say, for example. And the problem is that the key tenets are vague enough that everyone will agree to them, but it, it then differs on the actual policy issue. So, for example, everyone might agree, yes, we believe in individual rights. But now when you come to an actual case, um, a test case or a case study of that, people will then find different ways of saying, actually, this position better advances individual rights versus another position. Um, so it's like, and I, I'll go back to the abortion one because it tends to be the most boundary for people. Liberals could agree that we liberals um, advance the rights of the individual and being pro, uh, pro-life, but then pe- people could say, well, whose life? And then I don't know if the choice between whose life is a liberal is a liberal decision. You then start getting into a scientific or medical debate about when does life begin or perhaps even a spiritual one of some people – do you have a particular faith? And so I think a lot of these discussions, um, they devolve much more than just along liberal, um, liberal lines. Well, because liberalism in, in, in many respects is the, uh, 
ideology which wants as many voices as possible and wants as many ideas debated as possible before it comes down to a final decision on anything. And even then it's not, it's not kind of settled. It's one of the, it's all, it is argued often that that's the sort of problem with, with liberalism is it, it, it ends up killing itself because even when it reaches perfection, as close as you can get to that because that doesn't exist. It, it still argues with itself and sometimes overshoots the mark then or, or, or cocks it up. Um, yeah. you know, but, but I still think that there is, there are, you know, abortion is a, I agree with you. It's very binary, but it's, it's, it's one, to, it's an easy one to choose to kind of prove your point. No, I mean, let's choose one that perhaps is less so. Let's say, um, freedom of speech. Or there the, are people yeah. who advance individual rights arguments about why speech should be curtailed in some instances because it clashes with another right. So you could have somebody who might think that there's nothing illiberal about believing in the right to dignity. And therefore, if there are some, if there's some speech that infringes on the right to dignity, the person's right to dignity is far more an innate mm. right than a right for you just to speak gratuitously and so from a liberal position of believing in, in the individual right to dignity I think that trumps the, the right to speech and I don't know again if there's some kind of liberal um, encyclopedia or bible that we can go back to and say okay well from the liberal perspective does the right to dignity trump the right to um, to speech is the right to dignity even a liberal um, a, a right that liberals should value there's nowhere to go that will provide definitive answers to these questions. We can just debate with one another. And I think those debates are fruitful, but what they won't do is tell you at the end of the day who has a better claim to calling themselves a liberal and who doesn't. So perhaps it would be valuable just to say, well, you call yourself a liberal and you believe in the right to dignity and you think the right to dignity trumps free speech and that's why you're choosing not to, you, you want speech to be curtailed. Well, I also think I'm a liberal, but I actually don't think that the right to dignity trumps the right to speech and we don't think speech should ever be curtailed. I think in the end it's going to really come down to that to just focus not on the the, 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 the label of being a liberal but rather ask people well what do you mean when you say you're liberal what are, the, what are your bottom line issues or your core values and then decide whether you can agree to those as opposed to Fighting over the, the, the label about liberal Because I don't think that fight is going to be very fruitful And I don't think it has any definitive end either I actually agree with you on, on that in that respect So is, is it easier just to have an issue And fight about an issue um, In terms of not between liberal or fascist or communist Just an issue in and of itself uh, Property rights, yay or nay uh, Freedom of speech, yay or nay What are the limits uh, obviously, expropriation can happen if you pay compensation. That's the limit of the property right. Um, so those are of maybe a little bit easier to to discuss. And my second question is though: um, Is are South Africans? Do you think that South Africans could be liberal? Are there enough liberals in South Africa for the DA to actually continue with the liberal message, so to speak? Or do you think it will be determined, as you said before? By, by one or two topics or hot button issues that individuals have and that they'll naturally accrue to the DA because you touch upon those issues in the way that they agree with. Not because they're liberal, because just the issue at hand is the one that they agree with. 
Well, I think it will definitely be the latter. Um, I mean, and even on the ground, when you go and sp- on the ground, but yeah, when you go speak to voters, <laughs> that's good politics lingo. Eh? Yes, when you, you go and speak to voters, I mean, I've never found myself in a situation where I'm trying to convince somebody to be a liberal. I mean, I never say, um, you know, let me bring you over to liberalism, you know, take you under the liberal wing kind of thing. You always do just speak of the issues that people care about and explain what your position on those issues um, might be. And I, and I think definitely that's the that's the way to go. Look, it's not to say that we must never fight about what being liberal means, because I think it, it is an important but perhaps sometimes far too abstract and removed conversation. Um, the person who who feels persecuted because they have no, they don't have the space to, to articulate or to express themselves. The person whose life circumstances are curtailed, you know, and they aren't able to live a life that's meaningful for them or to, um, earn the fruits of their labor, those kind of things. Those people, I, I think, don't want to enter, you know, if you, if there was a Maslow hierarchy of needs in a political sense, I don't think people want to enter into a discussion about who's a liberal and who isn't a liberal. I think they're fascinating discussions to have in a, you know, around a table with fellow philosophers and, you know, thinkers as a nice sort of intellectual wank on a Friday evening. But I think if you're in the game of trying to, um, persuade people um to allow them to 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 give you their votes then i think you need to answer what you're going to do in a, in far more practical ways um and and who gets to own the label of liberal well that's a slightly different fight i mean one that i'm obviously passionate about myself i i get really irked when people that i in my view um don't share what i would say the right <laughs> liberal values but again you say i'm right but just the ones that i think should be um the values that any liberal shall hold i also get annoyed when they when they want to lay claim to to calling themselves liberals but um yeah as as i say i don't think there's anyone to actually adjudicate and provide certainty to that particular debate but just to say are you, you asked are south africans um liberal enough um and again we've just had a whole discussion about you know how difficult that is but i would highlight perhaps three things for me look there are obviously more i mean i'm not saying these are the only three values of liberalism i'm saying these are the three that for me um are very important one is a strong commitment to um to the individual um and 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 obviously in a, in a, in a society like south africa people say well but group groups are important and groups are group identities and i i raise this this in particular, because I think it's one of the most um, oftenly used sort of retorts to the idea of individualism. People say, but groups matter. And of course they matter, but actually it's, it's, the, it's individual rights that manifest or give rise to, to belonging to a group. And the healthiest types of groups are groups where you are free to join them. So, so, so there's voluntary association where you're free to leave them, importantly, so you can, you can leave those groups. And also ideally, once you're part of that group, um, as much as possible, everyone can have play some kind of a part in determining what that group believes and stands for. So, you know, if you join a club or if you join a political party, it should, for example, be all of those things. So a political organization might be an example of a healthy group. You're free to join, you're free to leave. And when you're in that a particular organization, there should be some kind of processes in which you could be involved in framing what that particular organization believes and stands for. So I think that's a healthy group. Those kind of groups should be encouraged. Unhealthy groups are, for example, racial groups, which I don't bind to very much. And they almost violate all of those criteria. Now, of course, these aren't criteria from God. These are Gwen's criteria for healthy groups. <laughs> so, you know, it's my version of what I think uh, an it's ideal. Close to godly. Yeah. Well, it's my, it's my version of what I think a liberal group is. One 
that is free to join, free to leave, and you can inform what it stands for once you are actually part of it. So if you look at a racial group, you're not free to join. People typically assign you to whatever other race. You can't leave. I can't denounce being whatever race that I am. Well, you could try. I mean, what was Rachel? I'm, Hero, Rachel Rachel so yes, you can try, but most often people will not allow you to um, to lay claim to a different you, you race. You change group. your sex and people will accept it. You can't change your race, however. I don't know why, but that's Yes, that's well, we can talk about. about the sex on and people no, will no, accept no. it. We're but focusing <laughs> on the DA, Gwen. But don't yes, go anyways, anyway, so, um, yes, so for example, race group, you're not free to join not free to leave and certainly I don't know of any kind of black forum that happens every month where black people decide what we are offended by and what we believe yet almost periodically the self-appointed champions of racial groups will say well either they will apologize on white people's behalf and say we're sorry I don't know who they maybe maybe white mass meetings do happen every I'm not Tuesday aware. night 8 o'clock you <laughs> I'm know not where. aware of any black mass meetings though but despite that people still do speak on entire on behalf of entire race groups so Yes, groups are very important, but I think they need to be groups that um, abide by the three principles of liberal groups, which e-liberal groups do not abide by. I all agree with those, those principles of groups. It's consent and being able to change the dynamic and to leave if needed. Yes. That's my conception of a state, of an anarchic state. Come in when you want, leave when you want, and while you're there, you can change it as well. So we agree, Gwen. Um, <laughs> let's, let's, while we're on this. I've got a question. Ah, oh, come on, Ramon. Go, you, fine. Okay, fine. Quick question, because you ramble. We're on the point. Um, we're on identity politics, and because <clears throat> you've just brought us into it. Yeah. And there seems to be a group in the DA, um, uh, the, certain people who like the identity politics stuff, um, who I, seem to identify with it, and then there's a group that doesn't seem to identify with it. Um, the leader, for example, uh, very recently two incidents um, happened where he – Bought into the identity politics thing. One was uh, where he sort of threw his wife under the bus and said that she got where she was because she was white. And the other one was uh, where he basically 30 minutes after Ashwin Willemser walks off a, off a set, he says he knows what it's like to be Ashwin Willemser and um, be treated. Be Every treat- black person knows what it feels sure. like. Sure. So that's buying into it. So you don't have to talk specifically to um, dear leader, but I would like you to speak about why there seems to be this this infatuation by some with identity politics and how we can get past this, everyone, not only the DA, but the country. Well, the reason there are differences that, I mean, it's because people are different. It's as simple as that. Um, you know, if, if we, the three of us decided to start a political party, I'm sure there'd be many issues that we would, um, you know, go back and forth on as to what our position, um, should be. So I think that happens anytime that you have a group. The other question people might want to ask is, okay, fine. We understand that people are different and in any grouping, you'll always have differences, but why can't you at the very least communicate one line? Now, that's the part where I would say, yes, I concede. To the extent that people have found a message confusing, we should do far more to ensure that we are communicating the same line, even if we don't all agree on the same line. So, but, but although that's what most people want, I would just warn that I think that's a dangerous position. So people, as you know, as happening now, complain that there's conflicting messages or that there's signs of disunity. I just want people to understand the reverse, though. That fine. Let's say we get our, um, you know, hypothetically speaking, political parties, including the DA, get their acts together and they start just 
communicating with one voice. So mm. there'll never be a contradiction. What one person says will be the same as if you speak to anyone else in a different part of the country, etc. That's fine. Well, I don't think it's fine, but I'm just saying that's that's what would happen if that's how you you want to that's the rec- the direction you want to go. The danger though is that you then never get to experience the debate. I mean, if we went to a meeting um, as as a political party, as the DA, and then we decided on a line, for example, um, and again, I'll just go back to abortion. You know, we would decide on a pro-life line, you know, you will miss the fact that, yes, at the end of the day, there might not be a pro, the official position might be pro-life. But there was a very tense and extensive nuanced decision, um, sorry, debate on both sides, you know, strong pro-choice supporters. And unfortunately, in the day, it came down to a vote because that's how democracy usually um, works. And then a decision was made. And then because the public likes unity and consistency, even those who are pro-choice now have to toe the pro um, lifeline. Mm. So that's that's what happens, and I think that's also equally dangerous. I would, my ideal would be that we could be a society where people could try and grapple with nuance a little bit better than they currently do, where they could understand that fine, I go on this party's website, or I understand this to be the official line, but this person is saying something else, and there's no problem with that. They're saying something else because they've got a cogent way of reasoning or cogent arguments and. By which they arrive to their final conclusion, and it's different from the official party line. But I think it helps knowing that those people exist. But and I think actually, if some people know that those other people exist, it will make them a little far less despondent. Because if you end up just thinking that the that the DA is entirely pro life, and for you the pro choice issue is important, you say, well, I'm now for me that was my do or die issue. I'm not going to vote for a different party that believes in pro choice. But you miss the fact that actually 40% of the people in the DA are pro choice. And perhaps if you can 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 accommodate that and say, well, the official line now because it came down to vote is pro life. But there's actually quite a strong grouping of pro choices, and I agree with them on other issues. I'm going to stick around because actually there might be an opportunity to reverse that decision and bring in more pro-choices. But So I, I just think that by by demanding consistency and unity and that the official, that the line that comes out is always consistent, you miss the internal debates that are happening, which I think are informative as to um, to give you a better, better, better idea of the detail that goes on within the party and perhaps the future direction that the party might move in. Mm. And well, now when I'm saying party, I suppose I'm talking about any political party, but I think that whether it's the DA or the ANC, people are always demanding unity. And I just want people to understand the cost of the unity that they are asking for is almost submission from those other people who don't share what the majority vote ended up being. And you need to give those people a space to articulate that minority view. As someone who sets policy in the party, though, um, don't you think voters want to know, like you want to govern? The DA wants to be in power, I assume. Don't don't you think voters want to know where you stand on something? I mean, something more controversial than 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 um, abortion is your BE policy. Uh, so, <laughs> I'm being flippant, but yeah. but but you know that that's a good example. You guys set a thing, then there was clearly disagreement after the fact, um, and people want to know if they vote for you. What is your actual policy going to be? Not really. Some of you disagree. That makes me feel a bit better. I don't know. I, 
No, but our, our, as I said, those two things would then exist, but it, it depends on the society's capacity and appetite for nuance, as I said. So, um, as I was saying, ideally, there is obviously an official line. You can't have then it being a free-for-all, and it, it depends on just who you speak to on the day. There has to be an official line, which when asked what is the DA position or what is the ANC or EFF position on X, everyone should be able to say the exact same thing about what the official line is. But what I'm saying is people then should be able Can to… Be individuals. Yeah, almost take the part hat off and say, this is the official line. Um, but actually, there was a lengthy debate, and I happen to be of the view of this. But unfortunately, at this meeting or party structure, there was a vote and this was decided. So our party line is this. But I can tell you that this is what I personally believe. And I would give the space, ideally, I think, people to do that. But the difficulty is that people will say it's too naive to think you can give people the space to do that because the media and the public will crucify you. They will say things like they are confused, they don't understand, why have you said this and the other person that. So unfortunately because the public refuses maybe not refuse but seems incapable to handle nuanced views in a political party in South Africa um, it's going to actually push political parties towards um, being authoritarian like um, and, and quite dictatorial around their message as opposed to giving their members freedom to express what they individually believe. And if I look at political parties um, particularly like if you look at the UK or the US, people identify, oh, he's part of the more hardcore Republican caucus within the Republican Party. They're a bit more moderates. I mean, you get things like yellow Tories and the Tories. These are the guys who are actually a little bit more like the Lib Dems, but they're in the Tory party. They're a bit more liberal. The yellow Tories, whatever. These are the true blue yeah. kind of Tories. Yeah. Um, and I think that ideally is what should happen. You should be able to say this uh, political parties, whether they're socialist or liberal, mm. whatever it is, are still going to have a sp- people on, on, sure. a, on a spectrum Even a party that is communist You'll have ones that might be like Almost revolution now Let's take over everything And some who might say No, it's a process And yes, the ideal is communism But we have to go through Capitalism and socialism first So I think even within the left There'll be a spectrum And there's nothing wrong with knowing Oh, so-and-so from the ANC I don't know, Rob Davis or whatever He's a hardliner mm. But so-and-so actually is a lot more liberal um, And just to understand That that's the way groupings are and it actually can become interesting to see how that balance of power, that dynamic flows within political parties from one election to another or time to time. And I think the balance of forces do constantly um, change slightly. Um, last question from me. Unfortunately, we're running out of time. Why uh, my perception is that it appears that only the DA really struggles with this. I think the media are more critical of you than other political parties, despite you being arguably the less racist one. Um, but the EFF, you read the constitution. If you disagree with Julius, you're out immediately. The ANC, it's a mess. People sort of accept it's a mess. Uh, you can have 12,000 hectares. No, you can't have any hectares. It doesn't matter. The media won't, won't, won't grill them as much. They will grill the DA. Is it perhaps um, a, a lack of leadership from the DA in showing this is what we actually believe, but we have uh, agreements and disagreements within it. But that's not terribly important because the position is the most important thing. Do you, maybe the position is not articulated as that hill to die on, so to speak, as the binary thing. 
Yeah, I mean, I think I mean the one thing to say is that I don't know if I could definitively say that the DA does get persecuted of the more than other p- political parties. It often feels that way. Although if I take a step back and maybe open the newspapers, they're almost constantly is something, a negative story you could find about the ANC. But I think the difference, one of the differences first, that because there are so many things going wrong, there's no laser focus on any one issue. And perhaps if there is at the moment, it might be, let's say, corruption. So everyone is so focused, let's say, on, on the corruption element of what's wrong with the ANC. There's not much time to talk about, or they don't dedicate much time to talk about anything else that might be wrong with the ANC. Policy failures, um, Policy failures. There's just so much that's wrong and nothing gets almost the laser-like focus and attention that perhaps it should. So it can, So in, in that sense, the opposition can then almost seem silenced out or it can seem very much like it's just all white noise because it's there's so much of it. Whereas you get a party like the day where I think most people agree most things are going right and that's often why people are, often say, well, with such a healthy environment and most things going right, why does it keep shooting itself in the foot? But I think it's actually because only those one or two things are going wrong and when they happen... They are so visible and so clear because there is nothing else. There is no noise in the day, if you want to call that, of, of a hundred things going wrong. That when only that one or two things go wrong, every single person, every single media outlet is only going to talk about those one or two things because those are the only two things that exist, which gives them a, a level of detail and, and laser-like focus that other issues and other political parties yeah. won't get. And, and proof is in the pudding. This year or last year it was Helen Zitter's colonialism tweets. This year it's Patricia Zillow. Like those are the big, major problems in the DA. It appears like yeah. we know exactly what they are. If you want to talk about EFF, it's the shooting in the Vol and uh, speeding. Uh, Bum was speeding in his Lambo and talking about cutting the throat of whiteness. There's so many things. And the ANC, let's not even get started. We'll yeah. be here all day. I get your point, but I think, I think you're afraid of being disliked. For what you stand for, you? not not DA you, but the me, DA, yeah. the DA. You're no, afraid of being you, disliked. You, I don't think I at all. No, no, you love being disliked. Uh, <laughs> that's why we like you, Gwen, because you stand your ground, even though taxation is theft, and you disagree. But um, the, I think the DA, the DA does have a problem with with being disliked, and I think it should be look at itself and say it's fine to be disliked for what we are. And if you don't like us, don't vote for us. And that's perfectly fine in a democracy. It's funny because <laughs> they did stand on that hill for racists, for example. And sometimes they erroneously call people racists, um, but which is fine. I don't have a problem if someone's truly a racist and the DA goes, we don't want your vote. You're a racist. I, I'm, I'm fine with that. But I think they, they should be willing to turn around and go, you know, if you believe in, in X and we definitely stand against X. I've heard all your, your talk about nuance, but there's certain things we, we must be against. Um, and we're against that. And if you don't like it, please, we don't want your vote. Um, I, I, I think Ramon is correct. There's too yes, much wanting should, to be liked. I would, I would, well, okay. Again, very quickly on those two things. One, on wanting to be liked. I mean, absolutely. A political party at wants the end of the day wants to be liked. Um, well, I don't know about if like is the right word, but if, if like means we want people to prefer us above all the other political parties and therefore give us their vote and the ability to govern, then of course, that's almost your singular, um, focus. And that's one of the decisions to be made, right? So you get people talking about, for parties coming up to try and you know persuade or the other side but then at the end of the day if you've made a decision that you need or that you would like to be um, in government you also you know then it means that you are then playing the game if I can call it that of how to attract votes but where I agree with you is that you should have bottom 
line values or principles um, or positions that you can't that you know even if it means losing an election you do not fiddle with this because at the end of the day if you are not this then it's not even worth being in government because I think it's not as if you should want to be in government for its own sake Mm -hmm. you want to be in government because you think a liberal party needs to be in government if you get into government no longer being a liberal party then what's the point then what's the point but I think as I'm saying you need to then define what those you know what those bottom line issues are and then be clear about ones that then aren't bottom line issues what you can't do though if you would like to govern is make every single conceivable issue a bottom line issue fracking is a bottom line issue this is a bottom line issue and we're not going to budge on anything no i don't think that's going to work you have to be clear about which issues perhaps you can be a lot more flexible on um, and perhaps you'll win the, the, the argument of the day another time and which ones there's actually never a time to compromise on them. Awesome. I want to finish um, just with one last thing, which is we've grilled you for basically an hour and uh, unlike almost every other politician who's not willing to be in the studio and be grilled like this, we, I really appreciate it. Um, and you're willing to take hard questions. So, Give us two two minutes on what you're doing, what your policies uh, are, and what you're kind of envisioning running up to the elections. You can give us a bit of an ad for the DA. Um, I mean, yes, uh, yes, fine. <laughs> Ramon's not so keen on that idea. <laughs> 2019 elections, no one really cares. I want, I want to hear what what Gwen's no, doing with regard to policy. That's fine. Policy doesn't matter. Uh, I agree, but <laughs> Gwen, why uh, why shouldn't you be the next DA leader? Basically, is my question. And if you don't want to be, who's better than you? And if they, if no one's better than you, why don't you become the new leader? <laughs> Jeez, there's a lot of, um, well, firstly, no, I have no immediate interest in, in, in being the leader. Um, simply because I think it's, it's far too soon. Um, and unlike maybe some people, I do, I do think there's value in time and experience. And I think there are people who, um, Share the values and principles that I do. Oh, I would say most obviously in the day because um, we are all in the same party. But perhaps one. I'm sorry to I... interrupt, Gwen. I don't think it's too early because you haven't been corrupted yet. By the wishy-washiness. There's the principled argument. You know, maybe I have the right principles, but I think there are other people that have the right the right principles, but also have the time and experience in the party to, um, you know, perhaps. That, that, that might be um, a better fit. So I do think there's something for time and experience. In fact, I was very reluctant even to join politics at all, never mind to, to think of, um, you know, being the leader of a political party. I've always been of the view that I have a, a level of disdain for career politicians. So there's a slight disappointment in myself in going into politics relatively young because I fear that I will then become what I hate and that's a career politician. Um, so yes, I think I'd like to give myself a lot more time before entertaining that idea. But Let's actually hypothetically, if I could look into, you know, the future, 10 years time, et cetera, it would still need many things to change and perhaps some convincing for me to want to be the leader of the DA or any political party because what comes with it are not typically things that I enjoy. So it doesn't happen so much now because I think I relatively am quite a degrade 
celebrity or famous face, so I don't really <laughs> get noticed. But once in a while it happens, and to be quite frank, I don't really enjoy it. Um, I don't really like it when I'm, you know, standing at the airport or doing something and co- someone comes up to me and says, oh, you're the that DMP or DA, whatever. And, you know, so what do you think about this? And what, you know, it's like, actually, I would like moments that are just mine. And I'm not on duty right now, which perhaps is not a, the, a politically correct thing to say. Some people might think, well, you're on the taxpayer's dime and you're always on duty. But I think if you if you're the leader, it's it's that probably is magnified a, a million times. So there are certain things that come with that level of profile that I don't think naturally sit comfortably with me. It's not to say that I would never consider it. I just think that certainly for me that be a, there would be a lot to consider from a personal level about whether I'd be willing to do that. And then also the you know the what I feel are kind of disingenuous elements of the job, at least for me, um, you know, um, I suppose colloquially known as like kissing babies, et cetera. But I, it is the truth that I'm a lot more comfortable in a boardroom type environment, perhaps in studio doing a, a policy debate or that kind of intellectual discussion. I'm less comfortable, um, you know, trying to pretend to be a, a I don't know what the word is. Yeah, fake it, really. Yeah, you know, and Put unfortunately, on a, a lot of yes, you know, crowd. go to a soup kitchen. I mean, it's I would do a soup kitchen in my own private capacity with no cameras and stuff there. That's one yeah, thing. But you wouldn't I don't put on a want, duck and, and stir a whole bowl of. <laughs> but I don't pup. want to go to a soup kitchen with cameras and cook for people and then smile and hold the soup. That to me, those moments are so incredibly cringe that. <laughs> so <laughs> may I see you throw so much shade? So so much would have to change in the political environment for me to be a leader people would have to no longer want I those suggest kind of people things. are ready for that change <laughs> yeah. and actually they enjoy a genuine person and i think that they're over the in generation of of kissing babies but right. but but yeah all right. Um, um, no, no, no. I just like the shape. Are, you being done? are, you, are we leaving policy? You don't care about policy, Ramon. So my question's down the drain. I just, no, I don't care about policy. I just want to know what is, what is. Well, the... I can still answer. No, no, no. I, no, we don't care. We've got one minute. What is the bar for 2019? How do you know if you have failed in 2019? Uh, is it about growing the vote by X percent or is it about representativity in your vote? Um, what is that measurement of success to know that the previous five years weren't wasted? Well, I think you've, I mean, you've hit the nail on the head. It's just if we grow. I mean, if you, if you lose votes, then certainly you haven't succeeded. But it's not just um, 1% growth. You would, I suspect you would want 7%, uh, well, you know, 7 more percent of the votes or 200,000 more votes or is there a, a Well, we'd a like to govern. I mean, that's the honest truth. But so you get to. But what, it won't happen in 2019. Well, exactly. So, I mean, then it's not about what we would like, but what we at the moment think might be achievable. And then you, right. and then you, um, you evaluate that at the time, basically. Yes, what but you, I think, I think. I think um, a very difficult target, but still one that that's within the realm of possibility, is to is to win Harting. I think it would be a really big deal for the country if the DA governs Harting as well as the Western Cape. I mean, already with governing, well, rather precariously, of course, but governing. Um, the key metros um, and also governing the Western Cape, it does mean that actually the DA governs in areas that generate more than 50% of South Africa's GDP, just slightly over 50%. Um, but certainly I think if we govern, then you know, Gauteng entirely and the Western Cape, it would give the DA a lot more leverage, in my view, to start selling itself a lot more as the almost the party for the economy, you know. If you, you know, if you sounds if like you a monopoly capital party to me. <laughs> well, if you want economic progress, if you want to vote for for growth and for the economy, this is the DA, yeah. and we actually govern the levers of the economy where where the economic hubs are, mm. and we'd like to spread that throughout the country. If you want to vote for 
a backwater party that doesn't generate um, growth and prosperity, more then shade. you can vote for the right. ANC and the EFF. <laughs> um, but I think that message becomes more and more compelling um, the more the strategic areas in which we govern are. And I think it might then hopefully become a domino effect from there. If, I mean, if the two economic centers are thriving and people can see that, I think they will definitely want um, you know, that kind of change to eventually to come move to them. Their way. Okay, we need to wrap it up, unfortunately, because uh, we're running out of, we run out of time. We have run out of time, and I've got people at home waiting for me to feed them. Well, Not my well, family, guess. Well, you've got a whole bunch of patrons that have uh, come on to the uh, to support us, basically. So um, we will do that as a separate uh, podcast uh, that will go out to all the patrons uh, on Patreon. On Tuesday, as with the usual podcast. Live um, to the so you guys get to ask questions from Gwen, but uh, for the rest of you, the podcast ends here. Um, it's rather unfortunate. It's, it's felt really, really short. Well, uh, there were so many other areas I would have loved to, to talk about. Well, um, we, we will happily have you back. Um, and if you enjoyed the podcast, please do let us know. If you listen on iTunes, please leave a review. If you listen on any other platform that allows you to do so, we really would appreciate that. Share the podcast around. I think... You know, you don't often get this long format with anyone, really, and certainly with politicians who are in strategic positions like you are, um, who are willing to defend their position. Um, it's really great to have that opportunity. So uh, share the podcast around, and I think it, it, it does clarify some things in terms of where the DA stands. Ramon? Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I mean, yeah. I mean, as always, Gwen, it's always a pleasure to, to see you and to, to hear from you. Um, yeah, I think you are, you may not realize it. You say you're a degrade celebrity, et cetera, but I think you are, you are the sort of the new figurehead of the DA for some people who might be a little bit, um, not, not, uh, might be, but that's the word I'm looking for. He might be a bit disillusioned. So, uh, yeah, so uh, keep doing what you're doing. I hope we make the DA great again. Well, you will. <laughs> you will make the DA great again. Uh, and we just need to make some hats that are blue. That's it. Make the DA great again. And I think um, keep doing what you're doing. We, you're always welcome on this show. Thank you. Thank you so, so much. Uh, as always, thank you for listening. You can find us on Twitter at Renegade underscore report on Facebook, the page and the group. Uh, as always, you can find Gwen on uh, on Twitter at Gwen and Gwenya. Myself, Jonathan at Jonathan underscore wit and Ramon at Roman Kavanagh. Catch you next time. Cheers. is cliffcentral.com